0: Are you ready for God's Word this morning? Yeah. yeah, all right. Thank you, thank you. And we have been on a series called The God Who Remembers. And as we've been going over this, learning that going back, you know, remembering, it's, it's re-putting ourselves together. We can't be fully whole until we go back. And how many of know, sometimes we're always focused on the future, that we lose grasp of where we've been and what God has done in the past. And reminding ourselves, do it again, Lord. God, you've been faithful. Remember that miracle. Remember that financial breakthrough. Remember that healing in that relationship. And just sometimes to go back and say, oh, yeah, God, you are good. But today I want to touch on atheists and atheism. And we're going to be dealing a little bit more stuff with science this morning. And learning what it means that God has been moving in the scientific field, but there are a lot of atheists out there, and they're trying to keep that truth from coming to the surface. And so, because one of the the ways the enemy destroys God is begins to spread the lie that God's dead. How many know God's not dead? (laughs) So I want to talk today, is atheism dead? And you're going to show you today how science is proving through the microscope and the telescope that God is real. He's there. I'll tell you a story. There was a story of an atheistic barber who was talking to a pastor, and the barber asked the pastor, if there's a loving God, how can he allow poverty, war, and suffering? Just at that moment, a disheveled man crossed the street, and the pastor said, you are a barber and claim to be a good one. How can you allow that man to go unkempt and unshaven? He never gave me a chance, the barber replied. To which the pastor said, exactly, men are what they are because they reject God. (laughs) Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for impacting us through your word today. We thank you, Lord, that they're not here to hear me, Lord. They want to hear you, Lord. So this morning, let my words be your words, God. I thank you for penetrating, dividing between soul and spirit, Lord. Thank you that your word is authoritative and powerful and life-changing for us, and we receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as you came, hopefully you received a little booklet on atheism, and I would encourage you guys just to read through that. Uh, we are a charismatic church, but we believe that God wants to use our minds as well. How many are grateful that the guy who flies your airplane knows what he's doing? He doesn't just speak in tongues. I mean, he that guy's about to do brain surgery on you. He, he, he doesn't just speak in tongues. He can actually he studied. He, he's built up his mind. He understands what to do, how your body works, how your body operates. And so I want to touch on some of the challenges that we're facing in our society today because of a number of the atheistic movements that are out there. And atheism is basically means someone who does not believe in God. A theist is a God believer. An atheist, when you put the A in front of a Greek word, it negates it. Um, Same with an agnostic. An agnostic. An agnostic is someone who knows. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know. What's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? I don't know, and I don't care. You got it. I want to talk today and start that in the book of Matthew, there's a story about a man named Jairus. And Jairus' daughter had just died or was on the point of death, depending on what translation you look at. And here he has, he's coming to Jesus because he knows, he has faith. And how many know that we can learn everything we need to know, but there's a hole inside of our heart that only God can fill. And because we're people of faith doesn't mean that we're not people who use our minds. That's the accusation that people often give Christians is, well, they don't think, or they, everything is, is through faith. Well, there are some things that you need to use reason. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, your, your heart, your strength. Use your mind, friend, sometimes. But there are some times where faith is required. And so when I met my wife, it wasn't like there was, you know, I, there was some scientific test I could take and there's this chemical thing going on. I mean, I knew it was first love, but you couldn't test it and prove for a fact that I was in love with my wife. I couldn't take it. I don't think they've created a test yet, but the big decisions we make in life are oftentimes things that we can't go through the mind for, and we have to realize that believing in God is never something that we can fully fulfill in our mind. It has to go into the heart. It's a relationship, and so here we have Jairus, and he's coming to Jesus, and it says this in Matthew 9, 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. See, Jairus was a man, he was a Jewish leader, but he was a man who believed that Jesus could do stuff. How many believe Jesus can do stuff? (laughs) He can do stuff. And it may seem crazy, and people may look around and say, You really believe that Jesus can just put his hand on your daughter and she can live? Yes, I believe. It's not reasonable, but he believes it because he's seen it happen in the past. You see, when we t- say God is a God who remembers, it means that God is a God. He's deciding to act. And so when we're calling those miracles and those things, God, do it again. I remember when you, when you, when you did this for my family. I remember when you healed my back. I remember these things and testify over and over again Because what you're doing is you're you're building something that's beautiful. We have to go back sometimes and remember. In the 1966 Time magazine cover article, there was an infamous title called Is God Dead? Now, I know none of you are old enough to remember that. Some of you are pretty advanced in age, but not that old, right? And so the the question was asked, is God dead? That was that was the message they were putting out there. And the reason they were putting this out there is because of the scientific discoveries. They're looking through telescopes and microscopes. And they're saying, now we understand how things work. Really? You, now you understand how things work. Wow. You know, the truth is, is that God is not dead. And that when we begin to see the miracles and the atmosphere around us, when we look through into the stars, we see Him there. When we begin to look even through a microscope, we see Him there. There's a book by Eric Matoxas and he says, We are living in unprecedentedly exciting times, but most of us don't know it yet. There is emerging, is inescapably compelling evidence for God's existence. When we look into... Whenever I'm talking to someone who doesn't believe in God, one of the first things I say is I said, Do you see this building over here? And they say, yes. Or you take a look at this painting. Do you see this painting? Yes, I see the painting. Do you see the painter? No. Do you believe in the painter? Yes. Why? Because of the painting. The painting is evidence of the painter. The building is evidence of the builder. And creation all around us is evidence of a creator. Very simple. When we look into the design of things. Come on, friend. I want you to get with me. Look into the design of things. Very simple story. Ray Comfort, if anyone um, has ever gone online, look up a a guy. he's He's from Australia. And... He is, a, he is a great evangelist. What he does, what he did one day is he took seven leaves as he was walking into his, his uh, shed out back and his wife was coming like a minute later and he put seven leaves in order and then he walked into the shed. His wife comes in, opens up the shed and said, who did that? Seven leaves put in order and she's like, I know there was some intelligence behind this design. How much more the human eye, the human body, the human cell?" The universe, the sun that's out there right now, it's an ongoing source of energy that never, it's stable, it never needs to be replenished, thank God, and it's consistent for you and I. Can man create that? They sure haven't created it yet. I just looked at my electric bill this morning, I'm like, holy smoke! Sheesh. And we get that for free every day. Who made that? He did. So Jairus was in a difficult situation. His daughter was at the point of death. But Jairus means shining one. And he is an example of faith in the midst of utter failure. We are called to walk by faith but not by sight. So there are some things. Belief in God. You will never, I could never say, if you want to see God right now, snap my fingers, boom, Jesus shows up. He's eight foot tall, by the way. And boom, he's right here. You would be forced to believe in him at that point. Correct? because I just snapped my fingers and he showed up. That's not love. See, you have to be invited into that relationship. If, you could, if I snapped my fingers and he showed up, that's forced love, which is called rape. And God is not gonna force you to believe in him. But you have to make your step of faith and say, I believe, I feel something, I sense something. God doesn't operate always through the, the door of reason. Belief in God requires a humble faith but surely not a lack of intelligence. How many know the world is out there pointing at believers, saying, Oh, they're just not very smart. They just, God is their crutch. They don't have enough intelligence to not believe in God. That's foolish. Some of the top scientists, biologists, physicists out there right now have discovered God. They have come to the conclusion there is no way that I cannot believe in God because of the design. As we go deeper and look at the human cell, there's no way that this could take place without a designer behind that process. Are you with me this morning? And what better way to forget someone to deny, than to deny their existence? That's exactly what the media is trying to do. A lot of the scientific community is trying to do. I many know oh, God is making a comeback. He's making a comeback. But they're trying to hide the body, you know what I mean? And they're trying to hide us. They're trying to keep us silent and keep us quiet. But can I tell you what's happening is God is coming forth. Now, one of the biggest issues with people who do not believe in God is the issue of evil. And this is not a new concept. Epicurus was a a Greek philosopher, and, and they say that he designed this idea called the problem of evil. A lot of people cannot believe in God or they shut down their even thought that God exists because something horrible or tragic happened to them. And they believe this is the thought process that was formulated about 400 years prior to Christ. And it says this, the formulation of the problem of evil is often attributed to Epicurus. If an all powerful and perfectly good God exists, then evil does not There is evil in the world, therefore an all powerful and perfectly good God does not exist. This is Epicurus' thought process. He says that if, if if God exists, he must be good and he must be all powerful. Sounds logical, but because evil exists, then in his thought process, God cannot exist. You follow his logic, not saying it's right, It's just, that's his logic, okay? You with me? Can I teach you this morning? Is that okay? Now, where Epicurus and a lot of people make that mistake, they don't realize God is in charge, but he's not in control. There's a difference. God's in charge, but he's given man authority and power to do stuff. If we don't invite him into this world, live for him, remember him, invite Him into our lives, and live for Him, then the evil that's on this world is on us and not on Him. It's time that us as the church take responsibility for that. So is God all powerful? Yeah, He's all powerful, but He's limited Himself so that we could walk in our authority. Authority was given back to us through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Do you want it? I want it. We need it. <laughs> yeah. So Epicurus' argument just falls apart because he doesn't understand. We are called into the equation. And that's part of what some of the deception comes. And when Jairus comes and tells Jesus, my daughter's at the point of death. She's, she's dying. Can you imagine? I mean, my daughter just turned 16 this week. And, you know, to imagine my, my daughter to be at the point of death. You know, Jairus goes and says, please come. He invites Jesus to come and it says "And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples Jairus invites him he says come but the next question I want to ask you this morning is is God hiding and I think for some of us and what's happening in our media and social media and in many of of the we call them I call them the the elite but they're really not the elite is they're hiding they're hiding the information that we need to understand that a belief in God is not some crazy idea it's a very intelligent idea and as we look into the scriptures we see that just like Jairus called Jesus to come we need to invite Jesus and it says this in Matthew 9:23 and 24 and when Jesus came to the ruler's house he saw the flute players And the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now, is that kind of odd? The girls girls died, and they're at a funeral. And what a lot of people don't realize is that back in ancient days, they had what they called professional mourners. Now, this sounds kind of odd. Can you imagine that, you know, you're having a funeral, and all of a sudden, you think, okay, we need we need to you know we need to get the funeral together. Oh, did you call the professional mourners? And so they make the phone call. It's like, uh, you know, we uh, my dog Freddie passed away, and we we invite you guys to come to the funeral. <laughs> okay, we'll come, we'll come. I'm so sorry, so sorry. And so this group of people shows up at at your dog's funeral, and what's their job? Is to cry for three hours, <laughs> roll on the floor, pound the floor, and Does that sound weird to you? It sounds weird, but why else would Jesus walk in and he said, the girl's not dead, she's sleeping, and then these people start laughing. Obviously, the family wouldn't laugh, so it was probably these people that were mourners for hire. I know some of your children are like, you'd be a good professional mourner right there. you go. got... You're playing the drama card right there. You're, you're going for a Grammy, aren't you? That's amazing right there. Anyway, so Jesus is, is dealing with this. And can I tell you that there are voices out there that are strong voices, but they're, they're lying. They're inaccurate. They're wrong. Just because someone has a strong voice or a convincing argument doesn't mean they're right, but it doesn't mean they're wrong either. So there's there's a a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens and there was about four of these atheists. They called them the four horsemen and they would go about and they would uh, they would they would make claims about God. They would write books called The God Delusion and and other books that that I've read. So you don't have to. Um, But to understand their mentality, because how many know it's important to know what their thoughts are? What are their ideas that are influencing the world? Christopher Hitchens, who's an atheist who's since uh, passed away, he said this. He said, thanks to the telescope and the microscope, religion no longer offers an explanation for anything important. Can you believe that? And what I'm going to show you today is that through the microscope and through the telescope, you're going to see God is very real. And he is showing himself at this time. These are windows into who God really is. Christopher Hitchens also said, Religion is poison because it asks us to give up our most precious faculty, which is that of reason, and to believe things without evidence. It then asks us to respect this, which it calls faith. So this is the accusation that Christopher Hitchens is making against the church, that those people are just stupid, ignorant people, that don't use reason. Reason has a place, my friend. Mechanics has a place. Everything has its place, but when it comes to believing in God, he won't go through that door of reason necessarily. Oftentimes most atheists that I've spoken to have had something traumatic happen to them, and they have come to that conclusion if God was real, he would have done something. The challenge is, for you and I, is that God is not in control. He is not controlling situations. But things happen because we, as mankind, fail to do our part. What is our part? We do our part. Then we can see evil stomped out from the world. People say, well, what about all the starving children in the world? If you took, I think they said that, 40% of the income of the top 100 people in the world, we could feed the entire world. So God's already given the finances and resources to, to save everyone, but we've held back. You understand, God's not the problem. We are the problem. But there have been throughout history, brilliant people, scientists, philosophers, biologists, astronomers. One of them, was Lord Kelvin. He said this, if you study science deep enough and long enough, it will, um, for you to, be- if you study it long enough, uh, it will force you to believe in God. He saw the design and the, and the complication of things as he studied deeper. Can I tell you that the smartest people out there believe in God? The most intelligent people believe in God. Isaac Newton, Anybody's familiar with Isaac Newton? He created calculus when he was 21 years old. Ugh. Smart dude. But he wrote more books on the Bible than he did on science. And he said this: He said, the half-hearted thinker will not believe in God, but people who think carefully with a full heart will have to, will have to believe in God. You understand that. The stance that I'm taking this morning is that there are many, many, many brilliant people out there who have studied the stars and who have studied the the, the intricacies of the cell and have come to the conclusion that God must exist because of the the, the way it's been fine-tuned. And we call this the fine-tuned argument. And it basically means that fine-tuning that one degree, one degree, one hair, even though it doesn't prove design, what what we're saying here is that our universe has so been finely tuned that it's so convincing that there are uh, astronomers and physicists who said there has to be a creator. Let me go ahead and bring up the next slide. Imagine a wall with um, 40 different knobs on it. Okay, I'm gonna. I think I have a picture of of a, imagine a room. Here we go. So imagine you walk into this room and there's about 40 dials. And each of these dials here goes from zero to a billion. That is what your job is. And on these 40 dials, every one of these had to be finely tuned between one and one billion. You had to set each dial at the exact number for life to happen. If you were, wrong, were off or wrong one degree on any one of these knobs, the universe would not happen. That's how finely tuned our universe is. What is the likelihood of you even getting one of these dials right? <laughs> not a chance. And that's how fine tuned our universe is. So what happens is they say that when you look into a proton and an electron, none of us have probably ever seen them before. Maybe some of you have. But their weight, their weight has to be so finely tuned that if it was off to the 10th power of whatever, the universe would fall apart. The universe wouldn't happen. That's how finely tuned our universe is. Now, one of the challenges that we find that's happening in our school systems now is they refuse to teach the intelligent design arguments. They refuse to teach that there is intelligent design in our world. And I think a lot of it has happened because as Christians, we oftentimes feel like the Bible could not present evolution as a possible way that God had formed the world. Most scientists and physicists out there believe the world is about 13.8 billion years old. Most scientists and uh, uh, physicists believe that there was a big bang that happened at the very beginning, and they have studied that the universe from this bang has been expanding on an ongoing basis for the last about 14 billion years. Now, can I tell you that some people, some Bible teachers will tell you that the the earth has to be 6,000 years old or a young earth. And then there are other Christians like myself who believe that the Bible does not force us to believe that the earth is young. I believe based on the Bible and my understanding of the Bible that the earth is actually very old. Now, you can come to a different conclusion, and that's fine. But can I tell you, in the understanding of the Hebrew language, we're not limited to a six 24-hour day creation. You're not. The the word for day in Hebrew is yom, and yom does not limit us to a 24-hour period. Be like me saying in the days of Noah. Well, I didn't mean in the 24-hour period of Noah. I meant in the day or the time period. So we're not limited in evolution or the way that God worked on this planet, evolution is not denying of God. Now, you can have a belief system and, and stance any way you want when it comes to the how did evolution happen or not. The whole idea is that God was the intelligent design behind everything. And if at the very beginning, see, even Einstein said this, if there is a beginning, there must be a beginner. Come on, you hear me on that? If there's a beginning, there has to be a beginner. Because at the moment of the first blast, and the reason they believe that there was a beginning is because the, earth, because the universe is expanding. It's not a steady state universe. It's not like we've always been here and we always will be here. What the physicists believe is that there will be a time when gravity will finally let go and the, everything in the universe will just dissipate. Because it's moving. It's, it's steadily moving. out. Am I making any sense this morning? I don't know if I am. You guys are, uh, I'm not sure about this. But let me tell you some of the most amazing things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over a couple more things here. How many know that we have a full eclipse coming to Indiana? Come on. All right, go ahead and bring that, bring that up here real quick. You can mark that down. April 8th, 2024. How many remember the last one? I think we had the, we didn't have a full, what do they call this? Is this a lunar eclipse, solar eclipse? Solar eclipse, okay. So this is fascinating. Now, some of you may not have realized this, but for, if you, if you look up into the sky, the moon is the same size as the sun. Now, we take that for granted, don't we? We have the the light for the day and the light for the night. So the distance from the earth to the sun is almost exactly 400 times the distance from the earth to the moon. The diameter of the sun is almost exactly 400 times the diameter of the moon. Is that a mere coincidence? Because if this is true, and of course it is, it means that these two heavenly bodies will look precisely the same size to us here on earth. Who did that? Who created the the earth and the moon and the sun so that when we have this day in April 8th, 2024, that the moon actually fits exactly over the sun so that we have total darkness on that day. We're going to have total darkness on that day. Isn't that going to be cool? You guys don't like eclipses? I think it's going to be cool. I mean, it's a a sign and a wonder. Who did that? Did that just happen? No it is a it is a sign and a wonder now the other thing that is that is miraculous that has helped us as the earth survive is the process of what they call photosynthesis everybody say photosynthesis <laughs> all right and go ahead bring up the tree here so when you when you look trees are not that are not withered receive energy from outside of this planet Isn't that amazing that for the trees to survive what's happening with these trees they are actually creating energy from outside of this planet from the sun and they're bringing it into this process called photosynthesis that causes energy to be produced and this is what this is just one of the many of thousands of things that has happened on this planet and that is happening today that keeps our planet alive The ability to synthesize sunlight and turn it into energy. You know, how many have solar panels? How many have used solar panels before? We just discovered these. We just started using these. You would not see solar panels out in the middle of the forest and go, oh, wow, that just evolved. But that process is happening within the very trees that God planted here on the planet. So what has happened? Why in 1966 did they come out with, is God dead? Because they didn't realize what they were seeing was a thousand million times more complicated than they could have ever imagined. And they just thought, looking simply at this issue, oh, look, life just happens. So they did an experiment. They got some gook together. They put an electrical charge in it. And they thought, wow, some proteins came together. Wow, look, we created life. No, some stuff happened. But it would be like flying over the city of New York, New York City, and looking down and seeing some buildings and say, wow, but not realizing all of the the electricity and the cables and the subway systems and all that is happening in that. They had no idea how complicated things were. And now scientists are coming to the Lord. Because they see design. And that is one of the things we need to push for in our school systems. We need to teach intelligent design. We don't have to teach a six-day creation, but we need to teach that there is a designer out there. And there is proof that God exists through the evidence of design. So at the close of the 19th century, most biologists thought life consisted solely of matter and energy. Everybody say matter Matter. and energy. But there was a discovery of DNA in 1952, and biologists came to to recognize the importance of this third fundamental entity in living things, information. We have matter and we have energy. Up to 1952, they thought, Well, matter and energy could happen, but suddenly with the discovery of DNA, they discovered that there is actually information in the DNA that programs the cells so that you're not a turtle today, you're a human being. You're not a monkey, you're not a giraffe, you're a human being, because your DNA is carrying that information in every cell, and every cell is following this intelligence. Now... Let me give you an example. I have a new book I just wrote. It's called, Everything Men Know About Women. All right? And uh, here it is. Pretty good? I'll be doing a book signing afterwards. Um, And this is actually the 10th anniversary edition. (laughs) Just in time for Valentine's Day. Okay, so up, up till 1952, scientists said, wow, that's, this is what we've discovered. Here's matter. This is something that's come together through matter and energy. What they did not know at that time and now have discovered is that that matter and energy is full of intelligent information that they are dumbfounded with now. And because of the discovery of DNA and that aspect of, you know, again, okay, they found this. Wow, this looks like, but then they open it up and they think, wow, there's there's, there's all this information in here that, who did that? Renowned British philosopher Anthony Flew announced that he had... Repudiated a lifelong commitment to atheism, citing, among other factors, evidence of intelligent design in the DNA uh, molecule. Scientists and physicists and astronomers are coming to the conclusion that God must exist because there is design in his creation. You know, God's not dead and he's not hiding, but we need to search for him. Amen? I'm reading a book called The Significance of the Cell right now. I know I should be studying Hebrew and theology, but it's fascinating to see and discover how God is is not dead. He's not hiding. He's revealing himself. But God is moving. He is moving in in these fields right now. He is moving in these areas that we never thought God would show up and convert atheists and these stubborn know-it-alls he's showing himself strong. God is moving. And I love what it says. Just like Jairus, he brought Jesus to this dead daughter. And Jesus said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Stop calling dead what is sleeping. We need to be the wake-up call, my friend. We need to be the ones who said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And we're going to wake her up. <laughs> that's what happened in the story of Jairus it says but when the crowd had been put outside he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this event went throughout all the district for you and I we should be searching out these areas helping people yeah they may be stuck in this some of these ideas or the deception of something tragic how many know somebody that had something tragic happen to them And they say, I refuse to believe in God anymore. Help them. Help them walk through that situation. There's many people that are hurting. Pray for them. Use the gifts of the Spirit. You know, when I was on a plane one time and I sat next to a very intelligent atheist, I knew it right away because he asked the most difficult question, well, who created God, right? I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't know all the answers, but I do know that in the beginning, he hasn't told me what happened before the beginning. And so I have to be satisfied with what God said in the beginning. Period. How many know your children want to ask you some questions about where they came from? You tell them a story, don't you? You better tell them a story. You don't give them the, de- the details. You just say, listen, this is how it came. There was a stork one day. No, but you understand? it's the same way. God will not give you all the answers. If you think God is going to answer every one of your questions, not that we shouldn't present them to him, but I think there are some questions that like God's like, you're too little to understand. Right. Right. Some of these atheists think that they can ask any question they want. Some, of, some There are some questions we just need to receive as a child. That's what faith is. I don't have all the answers, but my God does. If he said, this is... This is when it happened, how it happened. Okay, I'm going to go with that. Right. And you're finding that more and more they discover that they're realizing that what's in the Bible is scientific. Everything down to generational sins that go three or four generations, they're discovering that trauma gets passed into these laboratory rats for three to four generations. That's some trauma that they go through, that they... That they they let the rats smell a certain smell, and then they electrocute them or do something cruel. I know it sounds terrible. And then they don't do that for the next generation, but the third generation, the fourth generation, that they, that they let these grandbabies of these rats smell the same thing, they go into trauma. Epigenetics. epigenetics. Good. Let's all say epigenetics together. <laughs> epigenetics. Scientists are catching up with the Bible. That's what's happening right now. It's an exciting time. For you and I. So we need to remember and we need to help other people remember. We need to remember that at one time that we were disconnected from Christ. Remember where God has taken you from. How many remember what it was like to be without Christ and without hope? Right? Remember. And keep that close to you. Thank God. I mean, everything may not be hunky-dory for you today. Rainbows, unicorns, and whatever else makes you happy. But remember where you came from. Remember. Let's not forget who our God is. Let's not forget that he is revealing himself in amazing ways. Let's stand together as we get ready to close. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. He is good. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in the scientific communities, God. Lord, we lift up those around us that are struggling right now, God, even with your existence, and we pray, use us, Lord. God, use the pamphlet that we received today to help us study to show ourselves approved, God. Lord, that we will be properly equipped to minister to those, Lord, who have been deceived, who have been hurt, that have been broken. And God, I thank you so much. Thank you that you have not hidden yourself from us, But Lord, you've hidden yourself for us. And God, I thank you for the discoveries that are about to take place, Lord. And God, the things that you're about to do in our own hearts today, that you're reminding us that you're real, that you exist, and that you love us, and that you reward those who diligently seek you. So, God, today we say yes to you. Use us for your glory. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. He is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Guys, if you need prayer today, Let you know about my newest book it's called are there two powers in heaven and i've been working on this book for about the last 10 years many of you guys know i was in kind of a hiking accident last year and i just took that time to really invest in writing uh, killing the devil with ink is a good prophetic word and uh, one of the books i really wanted to get into your hands this year was this book and this is a the largest book i've ever done it's uh, got 95 chapters And they're small chapters because as I was writing it, I decided, you know what? There's so many deep truths here that I do not want to overwhelm my readers with too much information. And this book is, I want to read to you from chapter 10 today. And the title of this chapter is Behold a Son. And what this book, the premise of this book is that the Jews in the time of Jesus were expecting this figure called the Son of Man. Now, most people believe that Jesus, when he claimed to be the Son of Man, that he was actually claiming his earthly title. But when you discover in the book of Daniel, there was one like the Son of Man that came alongside of the Ancient of Days. And this was this idea is called the two power in heaven belief. Um, and it was first started about in uh, 1970, Alan Siegel, uh, a famous, scholar Jewish scholar he began he wrote a book called the two powers of heaven and he discussed how the early Jews understood that there was another power coming from heaven and they understood that this was this was not a, just a man this was the son of God he was everything his father was the eternal son of God was coming to the planet and this mysterious figure was revealed when Jesus arrived on the planet. And I want to just talk about chapter 10 because uh, when we look at the first son of Jacob, his name was Reuben. And Reuben is not just a great sandwich you can get in a restaurant. Reuben actually means, behold, a son, or I see a son. And I love that it's, it's the first son of Jacob. And I believe this is the first revelation we have to have when we're reading the Old Testament that we discover that God had a son. Behold the son. And this is what this book refers to is the appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, if you've uh, purchased the the name translation, what I've done in the name translation that I think is very unique is uh, we have the words of Jesus in red, which most, a lot of Bibles have that. Okay, great. But I also put the words of Yahweh, the father of Jesus, in the Old Testament and the New Testament in blue. So whenever God speaks, whenever the father speaks, you see his words in blue. Now, the fascinating thing, and what so many readers of the uh, the, the name translation version, when you get it in the electronic version, you'll see the color. In the Old Testament, when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, I put his words in purple to recognize that this is, this is that, the mysterious figure of the old Testament that's being revealed in the new Testament. And what I love to say, it's, it's, it's like a movie. If you watch a movie and during the movie a a very important figure shows up, but the figure's character is never completely played out or there's no resolve to the character. But when the movie's done and you think, well, what about that character in the movie? What happened to him? Where is he? What that tells you in the movie is that there is going to be a sequel. And I like to say that about the Old Testament is that when there are some figures that are, are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, take for instance Melchizedek, which his name, Melech, means righteousness or king. Melech means king, and Sadak um, means righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness, is revealed in a just a few verses in Genesis and then once again in Psalm 110, who is this mysterious figure? Well, many scholars like myself, I believe that this is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ revealing himself in the Old Testament to get us ready when he shows up, when Jesus lands on the planet and the New Testament begins to say, and this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the other power of heaven. And this is what this book addresses throughout uh, throughout the Old Testament, the pictures of the angel of the Lord. We know that sometimes when we're reading about the angel of the Lord, we, uh, scholars are very confused. This this, this angel speaks with the, the same authority as Yahweh and, the, and speaks in the name of Yahweh. And the word angel is not we can't just think about just a mysterious figure when we think of angel or some heavenly being. The basic word for angel, which we can see in jellos in the Greek language, and in the, um, and, and then in the, the Old Testament, we see, "we uh Yahweh would be the, the, the angel of Yahweh, which means just one who is sent. And I love how Jesus says, I am the one sent by Yahweh. I am sent, I am believe in the one who Yahweh has sent, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. He is everything his father is. He is the other power of heaven, and he is the son that is revealed. Like I said, the first son of Jacob is named Reuben, and Reuben means I see a son. And this is what I wrote this book about, is to help you see the Jesus in the Old Testament and see that he is revealed Um, He's concealed in the old and revealed in the new. His name is hidden in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. And there are so many powerful allegories that I I place in this book. And I want to get this into your hands as soon as possible. I think that uh, as, as I have written this, it has just taken me to a whole deeper understanding of who Jesus is and the authority that he carries Um, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And he is the son of man. That's one of the the terms that Jesus continually says, I am the son of man, which is his heavenly title, not his earthly title. And this is some of the the confusion I think we have. We think, well, he's called the son of man. He's relating to man. No, the son of man is the heavenly title that he takes in the book of Daniel, chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. And when he calls himself the son of God, it's interesting because you'll find in the book of Luke, chapter four, that Jesus did, when it talks about the uh, genealogies of Adam, it, it talks that Adam was, you know, Seth was the son of Adam, but then it says Adam was the son of God. So our understanding of the son of God was his earthly title of Jesus and the son of man was his heavenly title. I'll go into a lot more in depth about that in this book. Once again, 95 chapters, short chapters, about a page and two pages each chapter. I want to get this into your hands because I believe it'll be a blessing to you. It is going to shift your paradigm. Uh, The people who have read it so far, they said, man, this is intriguing. I've never uh, considered understanding the Bible in this narrative. And I believe it is the narrative that the Jews had in the time of Jesus when Jesus came to the planet, including the early disciples. I believe the early disciples understood that Jesus was coming to fulfill uh, the claims of the Messiah, the claims of the Son of Man. He was coming to fulfill those very things, and he did so like a hand fits into a glove. Jesus fit into not only the prophecies, but into that very role the son of man and the messiah so completely and so thoroughly that by the time of the destruction of the second temple that the jewish people who rejected jesus also rejected the idea of the two powers theory of that that they had previously had claimed they rejected that because christianity and jesus fulfilled those roles so thoroughly and so completely and this is uh this book i believe will help Help you understand that. Help you understand that from a biblical perspective. And it will take you to a whole nother uh, level when you, when you begin to put the scriptures together and say, oh, this now makes sense. I always like to say that that doctrine is basically like taking a, a, a verse here and a verse there. It's like taking a string, two strings, and then tying them together. And that's how you create your doctrine. You're taking a verse. You're connecting this verse. You tie it together. Now these verses are tied together. And this is what makes a doctrine. And what I've done here is I've taken some scriptures that you may not fully understand, may not have heard, may not even know of, and I've pulled them out, I've shined the light of God's spirit upon these verses. And I wanna I want to reveal these to you. I'm, let me read one of these to you. It's Proverbs 34, uh, and it says, uh, "'Who has gone up to heaven and come down, "'whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. So even in the book of Proverbs, it's insinuating that there's another power in heaven. There's a son who's gonna come to the planet and take over his father's dynasty. He's gonna rule in his father's name. He's gonna be everything his father is. And this is the declaration that we make that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's interesting because in some of the rabbinical writings, I'm going to read this. It says many early rabbis even claimed Yahweh was angry with Solomon because of what he wrote in Proverbs 34. They claim God said to Solomon, why do you express a thing that concerns the sanctification of my name with an obscure illusion? And this is what the rabbis were criticizing. They actually claim that Solomon misspoke in Proverbs about talking about the name of God's son. And when you begin to uncover some of these scriptures, I think you'll be convinced like I am that this is a very solid, uh, concise narrative that you and I should should grasp if we want to uh, if we want things to kind of fit together as we're reading the Bible, and that's that's my hope and that's my prayer, that uh, as we read, as we read the scriptures together and study the scriptures together, that you and I will come to a, a just a deeper understanding of who the Father is, who Jesus is. I say this: it says together the Father and the Son agree and validate the truth of the claims of Jesus. The two power teaching is the most. A fluent understanding of Yahweh and Jesus and how they relate. This view has been lost as the church has defended that God is three in one and the Jews have defended that God is one and no more. A closer look into history reveals that the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man rule the universe from their thrones in heaven. Friend, I encourage you, go on to Amazon. The hardback is 14 You can download this immediately for 9 99 on Amazon Kindle, and leave a review. Let me know what you think. I hope that it is a blessing to you as it has been to me. God bless. find that countless times in the Bible God himself actually changes someone's name we find that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter we find Jacob struggling with an angel and saying what is your name the Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons and places and what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the scriptures. And this project has taken me five years to complete, and it's called the Name Translation Bible. As a pastor, I want you to go deeper into the Word of God. And I'm giving you a tool that will save you time, save you effort, and allow you to get the greatest revelation, the deepest revelation possible as you study God's word. We look forward to you going deeper into the word of God through the Name Translation Bible. God bless. Hi, I'm Linda White. I'm the manager of Gateway Hunger Relief Center and uh, I've been out here about 14 years. This has been a blessing to me and my family to be able to serve. We need your support and the reason why we need your support is because our numbers are growing for one thing the need is great here in Richmond we're able to provide fresh produce and sometimes milk and just meats and everything like that and your donations really mean a lot to keep this program going Uh, we also serve the seniors and we also make kiddo bags so every child gets a bag to take home that's got mac and cheese and drink and little snacks in there for them and we just Love being able to pass these things out and bless families, and if you love seeing your seeing families get blessed in Richmond, come donate to Gateway Hunger Relief. Shelby Jones. Hi, my name is J.D. Marker. Hi, my name is Jenny. I just love blessing the people and seeing all the smiling faces and smiling kids. I love coming here. It gives me something to do every day. I like to give the people God in their hearts and I like to spread the word of God around to everybody. It's been a blessing. I've been here for 14 years and I hope to do it for another 14. I don't know what I would do without him, really. I'd be home doing nothing. I just love being here and helping people. I like to give out food and help people. God bless everybody. Hi, my name is Eric and I serve as the Creative Arts Pastor at a church in Illinois. I've known Pastor Chris for more than 20 years when he took risk on a 17 year old and poured into me as a young worshiper. I can't think of anybody else better suited to create the Name Translation Bible. I owe it to Pastor Chris for my fascination with etymology and the origin of words. In fact, just this past week, I gave a devotion to the creative arts team of my church out of Genesis 2, where God's first assignment to Adam was to name the animals brought before him. So naming is a big deal to God. And I encourage you, if you're someone who wants to go deeper in the purposes of God, then grab the Name Translation Bible for yourself and your pastor.